see you. It's good to see your face in this place this morning. And I am, I am so honored to start this series on prayer. It's a, it's a big subject, and, and we could go probably weeks and weeks and weeks talking about prayer, looking at the different facets of it, going deep down into it. And so today I want to start with a little bit of an overview. And would you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord, please? Psalms 42. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? This is the word of the Lord. This is a psalm. It's a song. Psalm 42, the first two, first two lines. This song was written by a choir leader whom David appointed. And I think it's a, a good place to start a conversation about prayer because it speaks about longing, about desire. We read in Scripture, early in Scripture, in, in Genesis, we read that, that Adam and Eve became aware of God's presence in the cool of the evening with them. And he would communicate with them. And I think that speaks to us of, of the nature of connection with God. You are an expression of his creativity. You, individually you, are an expression of God's creativity. Born out of amazing, overwhelming love. And early on in Eden... That included communion with God, presence with God. And when that was broken, it did not stop the longing that he created in us. And we can misunderstand it and call it other things and try to find lots of different ways to fill that longing. Our spiritual life really is how God relates to us and how we relate to God. And then everything else in life springs from that. It's not a separate compartmentalized part of your life. How God relates to you and how you relate to God informs everything about your life. Prayer is an essential expression of that relationship. And no matter what you think is the, the prompting for prayer, the reason the prayer, the thing that drops you to your knees or causes you to sit in a chair to, to go into prayer, our response is always to the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in us. It is because he loved us that we respond to him. Maria Bolding is a theologian and a nun, and she wrote this, all your love, your stretching out, your hope, your thirst. God is creating in you so that God may fill you. God is on the inside of the longing. I love that. I love that. That longing that you have for him, he put into you to fill that. God's desire for us ignites the spark of our desire for him. Overwhelming love invites a response. Overwhelming love invites communication and communion. The first point on your review is that prayer 
expresses our relationship. We often, in talking about prayer, talk about, give us an example as an analogy, conversation between two people. And I think that's the only way we can really put language to this to try to understand it. But I always think it's very limiting because we're talking about communication between God and us. But the best example we can come up with is communication between each other. But, but let's go there. Let's look at that. Communication between each other. The health and vitality of that relationship depend on clarity and the frequency of communication. Any relationship, the health of that relationship depends on the clarity of communication and the frequency of communication. And what I know and what I will admit to in your relationship, there have been times when silence grew when you were upset about something and the tool you used to convey that was a lack of communication. We struggle with it under the best of circumstances. What I say and what you hear may be very different things. So communication is always a challenge. But when it is not clear and it is not frequent, that affects the relationship. That expresses the quality of the relationship. And that applies to our relationship with God. Clarity and frequency, spending time in each other's presence, getting to know each other. And it's not that God does not know you. It is that in your opening yourself up to be known, that does something in you. That changes you. Prayer is often defined as conversation. And that's the way we teach it often, and particularly we use that, that analogy with, with kids. And it's the simplest way to describe it, and it's the simplest way to practice it. But if we confine our understanding of prayer as just conversation, we will miss something really profound and really deep. Conversation with God, prayer with God in that context, generally falls into some, some significant categories over and over. And that is praise, thanksgiving, confession, supplication. Supplication is asking things of him for ourselves or for each other. What often happens, I've discovered, and I'm talking from my own experience, my own prayer life, is that conversational dialogue, that I call it, is really a monologue. It's really me talking. And it often turns into list management. When somebody asks, how is my prayer life, what tends to happen is I think about the list of things I'm praying about. And that, that's the only definition I have for my prayer life. And I would ask, if you're part of a small group, either a Bible study or a 242 group, that's an appropriate question to ask each other as you move deeper into relationship. How is your prayer life? Is it list management? And those things on the list are important, and I pray wholeheartedly for them, and I realize it's an honor. When you ask me to pray about something, it's an honor for you to open your life to me like that. And I take it seriously. But prayer is more than the list. 
It is more than the list. It's a two-way street. Communication requires that we listen so that we can speak and that we receive so that we can respond. And preceding every kind of prayer is being present to God. He is always present to us, whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we realize it or not. He is always present to us. But it is our being present to him that is the foundation for prayer. Have you ever had a conversation, tried to have a conversation, called it having a conversation with somebody who was just looking just to the left and sort of past your left ear to see what else is going on in the room? That's not a conversation. I mean, there may be part of, your, part of that person's brain focused on you, but you don't have their attention. And I think the, the most distracting thing for all of us, we carry around in a pocket or a purse, and we'll put it out on the table when we sit down to be with somebody, to engage with somebody. But this phone is here, and it's always an opportunity to be distracted, to see what else is going to come in to see what will take us away from this person in front of us. Or have you been in a meeting and somebody's scrolling through their phone while while the the, the team is meeting or or you're meeting one-on-one? They're not there with you. Even though physically they're present, they're not there with you. And it is in becoming present to the presence of God that we begin our prayer that we begin our prayer life. And it's hard to do. I think particularly when, when you become quiet and still physically, that wonderful brain that God gave you to handle all kinds of information all the time just starts bursting with electricity and the synapses are trying to connect and you begin to think of all the things that there are to do. The quieter physically you get as you, as you sit in your chair or you, you kneel, whatever posture you're taking, your brain just goes crazy. What I have experienced and discovered, particularly in talking with, with small groups, and small groups of women is my kind of frame of reference for this, is that we feel like a failure in prayer because we think about other things initially. It takes time to learn to focus on the Father. I mean, he gave you this brain. I think visually in pictures a lot, and sometimes it it is helpful for me to actually see, is the laundry put away, and what's the dog doing, and, you know, all the things, to put those in a basket and hand that basket to God. These are yours for a while. I'll get them back later if I want them. You you got them. And it's funny how in that time of prayer, some of the things that you put in the basket you don't need back and you don't want back. But that's, that's kind of my visual reference to be able to let the distractions go, to focus on the Father. I know several of you were in the the Tuesday night ladies Bible study, and I don't remember if it was this last one or the one before. You went through the 40-day devotional And that devotional asked of you two minutes, two minutes of quiet and silence before you started into the study of Scripture and the prayer time. And I heard some amazing stories about what you heard from God as you quieted your heart and just sat to listen. 
John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Communication starts with listening. Being in his presence is foundational, and the next step, the starting of communication, is listening. Listening, you know, if you think about it, listening for us, listening precedes the development of language. Have you ever seen a newborn respond to his mother's voice, though? They've heard that voice. They know that voice. And as they listen over time, they begin to pick up words to be able, able to form words and then, and then phrases and then complete sentences. Our communication with God goes the same way. We listen to learn how to speak. And we listen in a variety of ways. This, first and foremost, is how we listen, in his word. He speaks to us in his word. It is in his word that we learn to hear him. We learn to identify the things that are of God and the things that are not of God. And when you move beyond this into the rest of your life, if you've listened here and you begin to hear other voices, you can determine if this is God, if this is not. Listening starts with time in Scripture. Listening happens in circumstances of our lives. That difficult relationship, maybe God's speaking to you about something that he needs to work inside you, not them, you. That's a way of listening. We can listen to God actually through our physical bodies. He helps us understand what our priorities should be. When we're going too fast, too hard, when you need to let something go, he can speak to us through this creation that, that he made. He speaks to us through other people. There may be somebody who speaks a word to you that in that moment was exactly what you needed to hear. That person had no idea, but it was God speaking to you. Not every message that we hear is from God. Not every message is divine. Not every voice is his voice. And it is enormously helpful as a believer to be in community with other believers that you are here means there are people who will help you understand if you're hearing God's voice, particularly in, that, in those small groups where you get to know each other, where you can ask those questions. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm hearing. It's what do you think? Is this, is this God? It's in community that we learn to live out the things we, we hear and learn from God. The next point is to speak honestly. Speaking from the heart with unreserved honesty. That can be very difficult for us to do. We won't do it with each other more often than not, and we don't do it with God either. We we think there are, things, there are things that we cannot say, or we think, I am not going there again. That hurt too much. I am not opening that box. Or maybe the tradition you grew up in said there were some things that were taboo that you did not talk to God about. And so we censor ourselves. And it may seem really obvious that we need to speak honestly, and we just don't. We just don't. 1 John 3, I think it's 3.20, says, uh, when our hearts condemn us, 
God knows our hearts and is greater than all things. He knows what is in your heart, but it is the speaking of it when you speak your truth. And I know that's a phrase that you hear everywhere, but you have your truth. That thing that happened to you, that's your truth. That heartbreak, that's your truth. That thing you did to somebody else, that's your truth. That heart that you broke, that's your truth. But those are all truth with a little t. Big T truth is the Son of God who hung on a cross because he loved you. Big T truth is three days in the grave. Big T truth is walking out of that tomb with authority over everything in heaven and earth. And when you speak your little T truth, God will move in big T truth. He will cover your little T truth. He will redeem your little T truth. He will heal your little T truth. He will restore your little T truth. When you will be honest with the God who made you, He will move. If you will be honest, your honesty is His invitation. He knows it all. But until you speak it honestly, you're not willing for big T truth to overcome little T truth. That time in speaking honestly, in in sitting quietly with the Lord, in communion with Him, that's the next point. Communion is a dimension of the relationship that goes beyond words, images, or actions. Communion is when you are sitting in God's love, just being there. And it's in that presence and in the being with Him that some of the most powerful work of the Holy Spirit is done. We talk about repentance, and at the point of faith, we use the word repentance, and in the Greek, it means to change your mind. And we say at repentance, you have changed your mind about the path you were on, about who you were. But changing your mind takes more than a moment. To change the way you think, to change the way you process information, to change the way you see the world, that's a process over time. And when you have spoken honestly to the Father and you sit with Him, that work of the Holy Spirit changes your mind, changes the way you think, changes your focus from little t truth to big t truth. There is a a Russian Orthodox archbishop. His name is Anthony Bloom, and he would tell a story about an 18th century priest who went to uh, an elderly peasant who spent hours every day, hours in the chapel. And the priest asked of the peasant, what do you do here? And the peasant responded, I look at him and he looks at me and we are happy. What an incredible way to express communion with God. I look at him, he looks at me, 
and we are happy. When we let go of that effort to speak or to go through the list or, or to all the things we think have to be done, when we will just turn our gaze to the one who loves you, who invites you, who has created that longing in you to fill it. When you just sit in his presence. It's contemplative prayer, that time of, of quiet communion with him. Uh, we are actually Wednesday the 21st and then again the 28th. We have a time of contemplative prayer back in the study. It will be scripture, scripture and, and time for you to sit in silence with the Father. If you're interested in that or find it a little intriguing, I would love to have you join me in that time. Our confidence in prayer, our confidence in the power of prayer is rooted in God's promise that he is continually working for good in even the most ambiguous situations. He is continually working for good and that his purposes will prevail. And that is deeper than the situation. The situation may not change. Big T truth will change your understanding of the situation. Big T truth will change how you respond to the situation. But God's promise is that he is continually working for our good. I love that today we get to uh, have corporate communion, that we get to join in that sacrament together. And as the ushers began to move to, to prepare for that, I want to give you another quote. Evelyn Underhill said, We are at once a citizen of time and a citizen of eternity. We are in flesh and blood because God created us this way. We are a physical expression of his creativity. And we're in this place at this time on this earth that spins and we measure seconds and hours and weeks and day and night and the earth goes around the sun and we measure months and years. And all of that is very linear. It's very time-oriented. But you are also a citizen of eternity. At the very same time, you exist in two different dimensions. You exist here and you exist in eternity. And prayer is the way you live in both of those places. Prayer is the way you connect to time and eternity. Revelation 5.8 has some wonderful imagery. And at this point, John is, is writing about 24 elders. And he says of the elders, each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense. Which are the prayers of the saints? Each one had a harp and a gold bowl filled with incense, with an aroma, a fragrance, which are the prayers of the saints. And I can think of, of no better imagery of our being in time and in eternity, that your prayers are captured and are fragrant to the Father. 
as we begin to get ready for communion, as the, the elements come toward you and, and you wait for everyone else to receive, I would encourage you to take this time to quiet your mind and quiet your heart. If you need to fill the basket and give it to him, that really does work. And turn your gaze on the Father who created you, the Father who loves you, the Father who created that longing for conversation and communion in you. Listen for His voice. <laughs>